We have an anchor that keeps the soul Steadfast and sure while the billows roll Fastened to the rock which cannot move Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson Preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi And now, Mike Hickson We're going to be looking today at Hebrews chapter 2 the writer there said, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest we drift away or let them slip. In other words, we ought to give more careful attention to the things which we have heard, lest we drift away. The Bible talks a lot about evaluating our lives in light of what the Bible has to say. Many, many years ago, John the Apostle in the latter part of the first century said, look to yourselves that we do not lose those things which we have worked for, but that we might gain a full reward in 2 John 8. Sometimes if we're not careful, we allow things that mean the most to us to slip away. I have no doubt that those of us who are here today we have great appreciation for our faith. And what we want to do is make sure that our faith is growing as God would have it to. Sadly, sometimes we neglect things that ought to be precious to us. As a result of neglecting our faith, what happens is we wake up one day and we are far removed from Christianity. And so I want to talk for just a moment or two about the theme today, Is Your Faith Slipping? The beauty of Scripture is that there are some earmarks that will enable us to determine whether or not our faith is what it ought to be, or if quite possibly we have allowed some things to slip. I think it's important for us to understand the backdrop, the background, out of which this great book was written. The Hebrew writer was writing to Christians that had come out of Judaism. And what was happening was there were Hebrew Christians that were on the verge of going back to Judaism. Some possibly had already gone back to Judaism. And so over and over again, the writer stresses the superiority of the law of Christ to the law of Moses. And he talks in great detail about making sure that we stay true to the Lord Jesus. And so it's with that backdrop in mind that he says, Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest we drift away. So today we ask the question, is your faith slipping away? Well, what about some earmarks? Is it possible for us to determine how strong or how weak our faith is. I want to begin by first of all saying that if your faith is slipping away, it is because, number one, you are neglecting being a prayer warrior. Neglecting being a prayer warrior. And so with that in mind, look, if you would, over in chapter 4. In chapter 4, in verse 16, here's what the writer said. Let us therefore come boldly or draw boldly to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help 
in time of need. And the idea is that we neglect communicating with God. One of the greatest blessings that we have as Christians is the opportunity to come before the throne of God 24-7 to make our wants, our wishes known to Him, to express our gratitude, to plead for guidance and strength, etc. Now, let me just begin by saying that we neglect the privilege of prayer. As a child of God, one of the great spiritual blessings that you enjoy is prayer to God. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12, The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. His ears are open unto their prayers. But he said, The face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Solomon wrote many, many years ago, The prayer of the upright is his delight. That is, God delights in hearing from you. Sometimes we tend to take for granted those blessings that ought to mean so much to us. And so is it possible that we are neglecting the privilege of prayer? You think about all the opportunities over the course of a day to pray to God, to approach His throne, to understand that you're in the very presence of God. The writer here is encouraging Christians in the first century to come boldly before the throne of grace. So I think about people that neglect, first, the privilege of prayer, and then secondly, they neglect the purpose of prayer. There are, a lot, there are a lot of reasons why we pray, one of which obviously would be thanksgiving gratitude. Paul said, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In Colossians 4, 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, watching therein with thanksgiving. To express our gratitude for all the many blessings that we enjoy each and every day here upon planet Earth. And then, to go before the throne of God because maybe we are hurting physically. Quite possibly, we are hurting emotionally. And we're asking God for a measure of comfort and strength. Do you remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 where he identified God as the God of all comfort, the Father of all mercies? To come before the throne of God recognizing that there is a specific purpose in mind. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul said, And nothing be anxious, but in everything, with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. He said, Let your request be made known unto God. So we're going to God in prayer, and we're going with a very specific purpose. We're asking for wisdom. We're asking for guidance. We're asking for comfort and strength, direction in life. And note, if you would, what the writer says again in verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly. We can come before the throne of God unreserved. We don't have to hold back, but we can actually lay before Him our, our feelings, our thoughts, our hurts, and He's mindful of those things. And then what about neglecting persistence in prayer? Do you remember what Jesus said in Luke 18, 1? That men ought to always pray, and then He said, and not faint. In other words, you need to pray. Why? Because you might become discouraged. Is it possible that as Christians sometimes we become discouraged and despondent and as a result of that, what happens to our faith? It begins to slip away, doesn't it? And so, Jesus is saying one of the ways to offset discouragement in life is pray. Go before the throne of God. Listen again to what the writer said in verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Why? That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So here I'm coming before the throne of God, and I am unmasking my feelings. I'm letting Him know exactly where I am in life. 
and I'm pleading for help. And I'm doing that on a persistent basis. Again, in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, Paul said, continue steadfastly in prayer. He said, steadfastly. In other words, you pray often, and we ought to do that. Sometimes we allow the worries and the cares and the anxieties of life itself to consume us. How many sleepless nights do we have in life because we're worried and anxious about this or that? And yet we can go before the throne of God regularly, daily, asking God to aid us, to help us with those anxieties. Because Paul said, in nothing be anxious. But the way to offset anxiety is to pray. And then, what about neglecting the power of prayer? Do you remember what James said in James chapter 5, verse 16? The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man. He said it avails much. In other words, there is power in prayer. Sometimes we neglect being a prayer warrior. We misunderstand the great blessings that come as a child of God, that we can communicate with God, that we can come before His throne day or night. And the writer here, in talking about the power of prayer, look at what he says, we come boldly before the throne of grace. Well, why do we do that? that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The word grace, typically we talk about the unmerited favor of God, somebody doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. And the writer here is saying, look, we can go before the throne of God. We can lay before Him all of the things that are going on in our life, the heartaches, the struggles, the sorrows, our sadness, our trials, our tribulations, our temptations. We do so with the expectation of what? We do so with the expectation that, number one, God hears our prayers, and number two, that God will help us. So you think about one of the earmarks of a faith that is slipping, is neglecting being a prayer warrior. There's a second thing. That is, we neglect being a pupil in the Word. Look over in chapter 5 now. In chapter 5, verse 12, the writer here is addressing a problem that was common to Christians in the first century. Here were people that had, by way of time, had been members of the body of Christ for several years. And yet the problem was they were not growing in grace and knowledge. As a result of that, they were still in a state of infancy. And so the danger of not studying the Word of God. Number one, what's the danger? Let's just say that you never take time to read, to study, to meditate on the truth of God. What's going to be a problem in your life? Well, number one, you're not going to know the faith, are you? There are a lot of folks in the body of Christ that by way of time, in other words, length of service, they've been members of the body of Christ for many, many years. But spiritually speaking, they're still in a state of infancy. So listen to what the writer here says. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... He said, you need someone to teach you, again, the first principles of the oracles of God. He said, you've come to need milk and not meat or not solid food. Let me just pause there for a minute. How much time do you spend reading the Scriptures? Do you recall what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 34 many, many years ago? Isaiah wrote some 700 years before Jesus came to earth. And the Bible tells us that Isaiah said, Seek ye out the book of the Lord, listen to him, and read. There is, there is merit or value in reading God's Word. In other words, 
taking time every day. Now, sometimes we say, well, I just don't have time. Look, there are occasions in life when we need to make time. If you don't want your faith to slip away from you, then you have got to make time. It might be getting up early in the morning. It might be carving out some time during your lunch hour. It might be retreating sometime late in the evening and sitting down and studying and meditating on the truth of God. So I think about reading the Scriptures, taking time to read, and then to reflect on what you've read. Do you remember what the psalmist said? Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. In other words, here's somebody who's sitting down and they are pondering over the truth of God, trying to come to a better understanding of what God is saying in a particular passage of Scripture. So how much time do you spend reading the Scriptures? How much time do you spend reflecting on the Scriptures? Do you remember in Psalm 1, verse 2, the psalmist said his delight was in the law of the Lord, and he said, in his law he meditated. Listen to him, day and night. So it's going to take time. It's going to take some effort on your part. Now, the Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. It's one thing to become a child of God, but then the question is, are we going to grow as children of God? So we've got to read the Scriptures. We've got to reflect upon the Scriptures. We have to be receptive to the Scriptures, don't we? Do you remember Jesus talked about in Luke 8, 15? The seed of the kingdom, of course, which is the Word of God. And He said, it falls on honest and good hearts. And what does it do? It brings forth fruit. So when we read this book, what we're trying to do is internalize it into our lives and then live it out every day. It is what I would call a verbal sermon, or rather, a visible sermon. People seeing Christ living in you. Can people see that? Can they say that Christ lives in you? Now, listen again to what the writer said, all right? The Christians in the first century, they should have been at a point in their spiritual lives when they could quite literally sit down and teach somebody the gospel. But the writer said, here's the problem. You need, in a spiritual sense, to go back to kindergarten. Well, why is that? Because you don't know the basics of Christianity. In other words, your ABCs. Now, could you imagine, could you imagine seeing a 35-year-old man or woman going into a kindergarten class? You remember the little tables? Can you imagine hunkering down in one of those little tables? I, I can remember in the first grade, like it was yesterday, those little tables we had, the big thick, fat pencils that we used. Remember that? The paper that we used that was different than what we call composition paper. And all the intricacies of just being a young fella. And so the writer here is saying, look, here's the problem. You ought to be spiritually strong enough to be able to teach others what the gospel says. But he said, you know what? Really, you need to go back to kindergarten. If somebody were to ask you what do I need to do to become a child of God? What does the Bible say? Could you tell them? If somebody asks you, what does the Bible say about the church? Could you respond? If somebody asks you, why is it that you take the Lord's Supper every first day of the week? What would you say? If somebody were to ask you, okay, I see you people don't use mechanical instruments in your worship to God. Why is that? Could you give them a reply? Could you tell them, could you sit down with somebody and teach them the basics? This is basic stuff. That's what, that's what I would call cardinal doctrines, fundamental doctrines of the New Testament. But it doesn't come overnight, 
And it doesn't come without study. You've got to make time, you've got to apply yourself to know what the Bible teaches. Now Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, As a newborn baby, desire the sincere milk of the word that you might grow thereby. So here you are, you are a child of God, you've been in the faith many years, but rather than being someone who is a seasoned Christian, you're still in infancy. So you need to go back to kindergarten. So number one, you can't know the faith, and number two, you can't grow in the faith, can you? If you never spend time in this book, I promise you, you'll never grow, ever, ever, ever. What was it Peter said? Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If you want to grow, you have, I can't, I, there's no way I can, I can stress this enough. If you want to grow in the faith, you have to spend time in this book. It's just that simple. Hosea, many, many years ago, said, My people, that is the children of Israel, he said, are destroyed for lack of knowledge. They had the law of God. They knew what the law said. The prop, well, they should have known what the law said. But Hosea said, there is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. Could God say that about the church today? That we are immature? That we lack knowledge? That we lack being what we ought to be? Now, I want you to think about something. Do you remember what Jesus said in the Great Commission? Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. How are you going to sow what you don't know? You can't be a soul winner for the Lord if you don't know what the Bible teaches. Now, you might not be able to quote every verse, but you need to be able to open your Bible and say, okay, here's what the Bible says. Can you do that? Now, listen to what he says. Everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Solid food, however, belongs to those who are full age, that is, those who are mature. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Let me tell you what, if you don't know the Scriptures, you will have a constant battle on your hands. And here's the battle. Is this right or is this wrong? Is this good? Is this evil? Is this truth? Is this error? You won't know. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4 that there are some people who are tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the sight of men. The bottom line is, if you don't know what the Bible has to say, you're going to slip in your faith. And there are a lot of questions that could be easily answered, but you've got to know what the Bible has to say. Not good enough to say, well, my preacher said this, or one of my elders said this. You need to know what the Bible says. Sometimes people say, well, the church said, no, the church doesn't say anything. We are the pillar and ground of the truth. I grant that. The authority, though, is not in the church. It's in the Bible. So it goes back to the Bible. Now, there is a third earmark, and that would be neglect persevering in the work. Turn over to chapter 6 now. Look at verse 9. The writer said, But, beloved, we're confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this matter. Now, look at verse 10. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward His name, and that you minister, that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that though you do not, be, or rather, that you do not become sluggish or lazy, but imitate those who, through faith and patience or perseverance, inherit the promises. Remember the old saying, an idle mind is a devil's workshop? If you're not involved in the work of the church, you will slip in the faith. 
If you're not involved right now, you're already slipping. Like sand sifting through your hands, slipping away. There is a lot to be said for involvement in the kingdom of God. What happens when we neglect involvement in the kingdom of God? Number one, we lose our affection for service, don't we? The Hebrew writer said, listen to him again. God is not unjust to forget your work. Now note, and labor of love. What's the catalyst behind every action of a Christian? It ought to be love, shouldn't it? It shouldn't be from the vantage point of we feel, well, there is a sense of obligation, and we are compelled to do certain things, but we ought to do it because we love the Lord, because this is who we are. This is what we are. Do you know who you are? Do you know whose you are? Do you know what you're supposed to be doing in the kingdom of God? When you step outside the walls of this building, you know what you step outside the walls of this building to do? To serve. Paul said we have been created in Christ Jesus under good works in Ephesians 2.10. In other words, we are God's masterpiece. And so because we are His masterpiece, we engage ourselves in a lifetime of service. Understanding that God will ultimately reward us in Matthew chapter 25, when Jesus talked about, do you remember when he talked about the judgment on the final day? And he said, look, I was hungry, and what would you do? He said, you gave me something to eat. He said, I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. I was naked, you clothed me. He said, I was sick and in prison, you came unto me. What did they do? They ministered in the name of Christ. Why did they do that? Because they loved the Lord. When you feed people that are hungry, when you go and sit down with somebody who is hurting, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Why do you do that? Because you love the Lord and you love people. Every single activity ought to be motivated by love. But if you neglect the kingdom of God, service in the kingdom of God, number one, you're going to lose your passion. Number two, you're going to lose sight of the purpose. What's the purpose? Well, one of the great purposes of living Christian life is to lead other people to Christ, isn't it? Going back to the Great Commission, going to all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Our goal is to see other people in heaven. But when we engage in the various good works of the church, it's not about bringing honor and glory to self. Paul said, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. It's not about getting a pat on the back. It's not about some type of personal adulation or glory, but rather it's doing things so that God will be glorified. God is glorified in the church, Ephesians 3.21. And Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So if you're neglecting being active in the kingdom of God, number one, you'll lose sight of the passion you ought to have. Number two, you'll lose sight of your purpose. Fourthly, and very quickly, a fourth earmark we neglect the power of worship. Look now at chapter 10, verse 25. In chapter 10, verse 25, look, if you would, beginning in verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, steadfastness. For he who promised is faithful. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Now look at verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, why was the book of Hebrews written? It was written because there were Hebrew Christians that were lapsing back to Judaism. 
Don't you find it interesting that the Hebrew writer here, in talking about the danger of apostasy, letting our faith slip away, don't you find it interesting that he associates that with missing worship to God? You ever thought about that? If you're not here for worship, if you neglect worship to God on a regular basis, there are a couple of things that you need to remember. Number one, you are neglecting being in the presence of God. Why do we come to worship? Look at, look at the world today. What, what do people in the world say about worship? Is it not the case that we're living in a day and time when people have this cafeteria-style mentality? That people go to worship to get rather than to give? Now, are there byproducts that we get out of worship? Absolutely. One of which is we edify, we build up one another. But you think about how in many, many ways worship has become misconstrued in the minds of people. Look, we're in the presence of God. Jesus said, God is spirit. They that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. In other words, God is the aim of our worship, isn't He? The absolute is we must worship Him. Well, how? In spirit, that is with the right attitude. In truth, by His authority. So we come together to worship God. We bow in His presence. Why do we do that? We are neglecting bowing in the presence of Almighty God. God is worthy to be praised, is He not? The psalmist said, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Every first day of the week, do we not have the opportunity to stand in the presence of God, expressing our thanksgiving for who He is and what He has done on our behalf? Is He not worthy of our adoration and praise? And then, think about this. When we're not present, rather than encouraging one another, we discourage one another. You see, not only are we in the presence of God, but we're in the presence of the people of God. Listen again to what the writer said, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. I promise you, when you are here, you're an encouragement to somebody. You're an encouragement to me, and I can, I can promise you, you're an encouragement to everybody else. When you're not here, though, it's discouraging. Some folks let their faith slip away because they neglect the power of worship. What about you? How would you evaluate your faith? Do you have a strong faith? Do you have a weak faith? Is your faith slipping away? If your faith is slipping away, then look, we can help you because you can turn that ship around. And so I would want to encourage you Think about where you are in your relationship to God. Be faithful. Do your best to be a rock-solid Christian. You remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15? Be ye steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? For as much as you know that your labor is not vain in the Lord. So just being faithful to God. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I want you to know that the greatest decision you'll ever make in life is to become a child of God. What would you need to do? Well, you need to believe Jesus is the Son of God, John 8, 24. You need to be willing to repent, to turn away from a life of sin, Luke 13, 3. Confess His name before others, Matthew 10, 32. Be baptized or immersed in water so that all your sins can be washed away, Acts 22, 16. God will then put you in the church, and He's the Savior of the body, Ephesians 5, 23. If you'll be faithful, the promise is the crown of life, James 1, 12. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. 
Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. Steadfast and sure while the billows roll, fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love.